0: Excited today to be joined by Jason Cutter. Jason is the CEO at Cutter Consulting Group, where he helps create scalable training programs for new sales reps. He improves the selling processes to increase sales 20 to 30%. He turns average sales reps into sales closing machines, and he optimizes the lead generation process to create a profitable cost per acquisition. He's host of the Sales Experience podcast, and he's author of the soon-to-be-released selling with authentic persuasion. Jason, a warm welcome, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. How are you? All good, my friend. Looking forward to a good conversation today with yourself. Um, Yeah, it should be fun. (laughs) Yeah, man. So as always, there's a few key things we want to learn from you, Jason. We'd love to learn your top business growth tips. Um, We'd love to learn your top marketing strategies So be it digital marketing or be it offline marketing, things like cold email, cold callers, etc. But before we get to that, before we get to that good stuff, we want to know a bit more about yourself. So a bit more about your background. So where you grew up, some of the key places that you've worked at and some of the lessons that you learned at some of the businesses up to founding your own company. And there could be lessons in anything to do with sales.
1: It could be to do with marketing. It could be to do with business. So yeah, I'd love to hear it, man. Uh, well, first off, I'm super excited to have this conversation. I think this is fun and the framework of this should be interesting for me. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area in a town called Fremont, um, in California. And, um, I, I it's so funny because if we look at things now and what I do now in sales and per, persuasion and, and coaching. And I was a shy, awkward, only child, late bloomer, And, uh, you know, my parents, my mom is a banker, finance manager. My dad was a uh, uh, engineer, program manager. And I went to school, actually, my bachelor's degree, you know, some people don't realize this, is in marine biology. And I spent years tagging sharks. Uh, And from there, yeah, so I was doing that. And um, it was tough to find work in that because it was so competitive. I didn't know what I wanted to do really in life. Uh, I thought I just didn't want to deal with people. Uh, but I like solving problems, ended up moving to Seattle and working at Microsoft for a couple years doing tech support, which uh, was interesting. But I found out that wasn't really where I wanted to be either. It was kind of a journey of self-awareness. And then in 2002, I got my first sales job where I was working in the mortgage business. So helping people buy homes and refinance. And that was good, except, you know, I didn't really get any training. I didn't know what I was doing uh you know i'm 27 years old and first sales job and sounds it was like nearly mess. every sales
0: job really jason You're throwing throwing yeah, at the yeah. deep end right this is the product we sell this is the service
1: we sell right hit the
0: phones hit the emails get started
1: Uh, Yeah, and and mine was that, but a slightly different version, which is, you know, the the owner, uh, basically on my first day, he said, I sent 10,000 postcards last week, here's the phone, here's a lead sheet, when the phone rings, ask these questions, fill this out, and then bring it to me, and then I'll take it from there, and I'm like, okay, sounds good, I have no (laughs) idea what we're going to do, and so I basically learned that process that way, and I also learned some mistakes, I learned from some mistakes and things that I was doing wrong that I even teach people to today because I like I still remember those lessons and failures from 2002 2003 and so from there I moved to helping people who were in foreclosure went to work at a startup um that was doing that same thing, helping people in the States avoid foreclosure. And that's where I got my first opportunity to really learn about selling and sales over the phone instead of in person. Um, you know, when, you're, when I was in the mortgage business, it was all about, okay, get in front of somebody as soon as possible, face-to-face, build a relationship, build rapport, and then everything is easier versus when I um, moved into a company where it was uh, telephone sales. Then it was all about how do you do all of that over the phone, which was a very unique challenge and took a lot of learning. And what were you selling over the phone, Jason? Jason? So we were helping people who were in foreclosure. So somebody who was potentially going to lose their house to an auction, Ah, because they weren't making their payments. And we were trying to either help them save their home or sell their home before that timeline, you know, basically avoid the sheriff coming and and kicking them out of their house. And so you think that would be easy, because people would be in, in trouble. But what I learned is a lot of people, they just, they're so scared, they do nothing. And so I learned a lot about how people think, the fears they have, the fact that, you know, they just want to put their head in the sand. And so there was a lot of lessons from that from a sales side of human behavior. In fact, I started studying uh, addiction programs and 12 step rehab programs that help people usually, you know, get over drug addictions. Um, But there's a lot of people who get into financial addictions or relationship addictions. And, you know, it's a lot of similar stuff. So that was, yeah, I
0: mean, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a lot we can cover on that. I mean, it, thinking relating that to any sales um any product that you might be selling any service that everyone tuning in might be selling i think it's often the case where you're speaking to people they don't really want to do anything let's say you're selling i don't know crm software they don't really want to upgrade until it becomes an absolute pain in the ass so let's say you you get a lead come in you've got to transfer that manually via email into the crm system then you've got to update all the names you've got to update the details like the estimated order value, the estimated time of close, the person's name, so on and so forth. Every time you call them, you've got to log that in until it gets so painful that it's taking let's say, an hour or two hours of your day. Each and every day you think, yeah, we need to upgrade our CRM now. So I guess that's kind of what you mean, is it?
1: Yeah, well, and and that's the thing. And I teach that a lot now. And I've been helping salespeople realize that is your prospects, the people you're dealing with they don't like change. Their number one fear is the fear of change and what could happen, right? There's a part of all of our brains, your your brain, my brain, all of us still have this part where it still is in survival mode, right? It's the primal part. Some people call it the lizard brain. Um, you know, it still thinks it's, thousands and thousands of years ago, fighting for survival out of a cave or on the savannah. And it's literally thinking that everything out there is trying to kill us. And any decision we make, if we pick the wrong berry, we could get sick and die, right? So uh, our prospects are the same way. They're afraid of change because change equals the potential for death. And so they don't want to do it. And your biggest, your biggest responsibility as a salesperson is to help them feel comfortable with change, accept change, And then, you know, make that change that would benefit them. And then there's the whole buyer's remorse thing. Like after they make the decision, then their brain starts freaking out again.
0: Cool. So let's say we were offering something, be it software, as I've given that example, Jason. Have you got any tips to help overcome these I don't know whether to call them objections, but I think they're just common with any, any potential customer or prospect that you speak to. Everyone, no one really likes change, do they? And if, if you're anything yeah. like me, I've been saying for ages to, to my girlfriend, to my fiance, I've been running, because we're on lockdown, I've been running two or three days a week. Um, and I'm not even wearing running trainers. And it's got to the stage where it's literally hurting my ankles and hurting my knees because I'm not running in trainers. And I think, now I need to buy trainers. Uh, right. I'm thinking I'm that annoying prospect that it won't buy. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, and t- in my experience, like going to the, either the trainers or the CRM example or anything, it's really about being uh, somebody who's investigating and asking questions and digging as deep as possible into the prospect and what they need and want to uncover their the, the deepest goals they have, the deepest pain they're dealing with, the, whatever that is for them, and go as deep as possible, as much as they'll let you. Now, to usually do that, you have to have some level of trust uh, before they're going to share. So you have to do some steps properly, which is what I teach people is, you know, you've got to take them through a process to then build enough trust while they'll share that. But you know, if I were to try to sell you trainers or try to sell somebody CRM and I just do what most salespeople do, which is I'm just going to give you a big monologue and I'm just going to read off everything off the brochure and tell you about the features if you buy, it's just dumb luck because that means you were interested. It doesn't mean I did anything as a salesperson versus if I really dig deep and I'm like, okay, Sam, tell me about your running. Tell me about your goals. What is it that you're trying to achieve? Tell me about your pain. Okay, boom, here's what I've got, right? That will help you accomplish all of those things for you, not for me, right? Sure. So
0: basically going deeper on a, on a level, understanding why, understanding the issues, and
1: then customizing a solution
0: that is actually relevant based on what you've discussed.
1: Yeah, and the biggest thing that I see a lot of salespeople are missing is they don't know the answer to the question, which is why does your prospect want to buy what you're selling for their reasons? What is it that it's solving for them? What is it gonna do for them? How does it accomplish their goals? Not what you think or assume everybody wants. You just assume everybody wants your CRM because it's so amazing. It's like, no, no, no. Why do they want to need it? That's the key. Yeah,
0: no great point. And I think it's also sales reps. I certainly was guilty in, in my younger days. Um as as a web choice as a quick example, additional marketing so co- companies were blessed to get quite a lot of inbound inquiries. Back in my younger days, I used to think that every inbound lead should be a sell. So I wasn't really sure. I wasn't really um doing a proper discovery, which brings us back to asking good questions. It was more ask a couple of questions, right? Here's the quote, why aren't you buying? And then you get ghosted people would stop responding to emails or calls. And it's like now I obviously know because I understand selling process and things like that. But yeah, for, for many people that are new to sales, I'm sure it's a common problem.
1: Yeah. That, and that's the classic example, what you said, which we've all done. Everybody who started out in sales is either either starts out that way or gets to a point where they, they think they know it all or they don't need to go through the pitch because they just think people should want it. Um, and yeah, it's just missing that discovery piece. Definitely.
0: Um, and then you mentioned another great point, Jason, which is buyer's remorse, which is not something we've really covered in, in this podcast at all. So, um, yeah, it'd be great, great to learn a bit more about how we could perhaps avoid that. And I'm guessing you mean if, if someone perhaps says, yes, let's go ahead, you close the deal, you raise the invoice or you send the purchase order and it's been a few days, nothing's hit your company bank account and you're wondering what's going on. You're trying to email them <laughs> and no one's coming back.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's two scenarios, uh, depending on what you your sales process, right? So, you know, specifically in that example, that's 100% correct. Like you got somebody, they're excited, you think they're on board, they're ready to go, you send over the invoice, you send over the link so they can submit the payment, however that looks. And then they disappear, right? So buyer's remorse kicked in. There's also times where somebody maybe buys over the phone. It's literally, you know, in the call, handing over the credit card information, signing up or signing up, you know, some way. And then after the fact, there's this buyer's remorse where they want to cancel and try to get their money back. Right. So there's times when they haven't paid. There's times when they have paid. Uh, And that really goes back to that fear part. I mean, there's there's something in their brain that after the endorphins wear off from the excitement of the conversation, they're going to get hit with this thing that says, oh, my gosh this could be a bad decision. What if this happens? What if this, am I making the the wrong choice? Um, Then there's also the people in their life, right? You always have to keep in mind that as soon as you hang up the phone with somebody, they're going to go talk to somebody else in their life, uh, spouse, parent, adult child, friend. Everyone has an uncle Bob who seems to know everything about whatever you're selling and they're going to dissuade them from um, buying from you. Like, always happens. Everyone's got an uncle Bob. And so you have to mitigate that in advance, which is what I focus on with a lot of people is, you know, it's going to happen. Then in your conversations, set it up so that they know that when they wake up at two in the morning in a cold sweat thinking they shouldn't have bought what they did, um, you have mitigated that. So they feel okay. And then you want to do some follow-ups just to make sure, but fundamentally this goes back to what I said a few minutes ago: is if you don't know why they needed to buy for their reasons, then you won't be able to get that person back on board that hasn't paid the invoice, or the person that's freaking out because they don't they don't know why they wanted it. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one um,
0: because I guess there's there's a lot of questions you can ask, and like you say, some some scenarios bring it back to to our company, WebChoice. We've the amount of times people have said. Or nearly agreed a deal. And then they've said, look, my cousin can do a website, let's say, for example, cheaper. There you go. Or they can do this strategy cheaper or whatever it may be. Um, so it's, yeah, I guess, I guess, like you say, it's, it's more blocking those who are asking the questions early. Um, so, yes, yes, we might be more expensive. The investment might be higher than your, your friend down the road or your cousin doing this project. Is that going to be an And, and
1: I'll tell you, like, because I've had that before where there's always um, somebody could do it cheaper. Somebody has a better deal or offer. Um, somebody thinks they can just do it themselves. And what I've always told those people, because I want them to get that out of the way. The, the challenge is a lot of sales reps try to manipulate or twist their arms and get them to do it. But then there's that buyer's remorse really heavy because they know they should have gone with their cousin. And instead, um, I just tell people, that's great. I want you to go do that. And if it doesn't work, let me know. I'll be here. Um, I've even told people sometimes, I'm like, hey, go do that. In my experience, I know it usually doesn't work out uh, when somebody tries to help you with this. And my promise to you is that when you call me back in a month because it's not going well, I want to help you. And I promise I won't say I told you so. (laughs) Adding a bit of humor. And, um, and, and, and letting them know, right? Because their fear is that they don't want to call you back because they're embarrassed because you were sure. right. They were wrong. Their cousin doesn't know what they're doing with their websites. And they should have gone with you. But nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Most people don't. And it, it's embarrassing. And so I always just promise people, I, I just want to help you. I don't care. Um, uh, it's, there's no shame. Love it. Love
0: it. Okay, man. moving forwards.
1: So that was the,
0: the telephone role, basically helping people not get kicked out of their properties. Um, what was yeah. next for yourself,
1: Jason? So in that role, I became a a sales leader there for the first time. So I started managing people, developing processes. Um, And then from there, I moved to a company that was doing uh, was helping people with their credit card debt, so it was uh, okay. attached to a nonprofit credit counseling agency, and it was helping people get out of credit card debt and avoid bankruptcy, and you know people who were just way over their head. And uh, what was interesting is, again, you'd think that'd be really easy, or dealing with somebody who has a lot of credit card debt, but you know there's so much fear and worry, and you know all these things that people are dealing with. So that was interesting. So managing teams, and then uh, my position there evolved into business development, which is where I really started to be. Become self-aware. What I really enjoyed most, like I've always loved training and coaching and leading, and then building processes. Um, but I be I went into a business development role, helping other affiliates come on board with offices and then so I was training them and then I would go to their sites and train them there and coach their their reps and, and help them with the whole process and so that was interesting and fun because I realized you know you got to take what you can do here and you've got to essentially make a franchise out of it right like if you go to a McDonald's or somewhere like that anywhere in the world it's always the same it feels the same the menu's basically the same the food is the same and so you know learning how to take that and systems that I was using but make it so that anyone could use it
0: yeah great and i bet there was some i guess there's some lessons you could share with us in terms of managing teams and
1: teams of sales professionals and, and things like that that could be useful for our audience yeah i think the the biggest thing that i've always found like one of the there's obviously the hiring part. There's the selection part. I mean, that's a whole whole nother conversation about, you know, recruiting the right people and, and also having a culture. You know, do you have a mission, a vision, core values? Do you, do you have something that identifies your company and then you know if someone's going to be a good fit or not? Um, but the biggest thing that I've I've learned over the years is that generally what sales managers and sales leaders do is they try to do the carrot or the stick. Uh, They're trying to do external motivation, right? So the carrot is, hey, if you sell more deals, here's a bigger pile of money, or here's a watch, or here's a TV, or here's a trip to, 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 you know, the Caribbean. Um, The challenge with that is that you have to continually increase those bribes, because people get desensitized, right? Like, okay, here's a $1,000. Okay, that's cool. Now what are you going to do? What are you going to give? me to work hard this week. Right. And so then you have to keep increasing it. And then the other side is the stick, which is, you know, threats of termination, terminating people just leads to high turnover. And, uh, the biggest solution I found for that is to help people identify what it is they want. And the exercise I do with everybody, uh, is I have them, especially when they just start in sales is I have them create a vision board. So create a vision board. Sounds, 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 it sounds childish. It sounds hokey. You know, some people are like, oh, that's weird, but literally having this, you know, board of images to put, especially if you're on a phone and it's literally staring at you, you you need something to help you stay motivated. So when you've heard no 50 times or a hundred times, what's going to make you pick up the phone and call one more person instead of the threats uh, of your boss standing over you.
0: Great. Great. Um, yeah, I've, I've, kind of recently set up a vision board and i do we've had guests on that do believe and then we've had guests that don't um personally i've, I've told this story briefly before but one of the when i was working at a marketing company a few years ago one of the best uh, managers that i had or he was the boss at the time he sat me down probably a month or so after after we i started working for him i was the lead sales guy and he basically said sam what do you want to get out of this um out of this sales role and i was like what do you mean he's like why why have you started here why are you working for me I was like, right, okay, I, I want to make money, want to do this, want to do that. And he's like, no, what do you really want? And I was like, well, um, I want to move in with my uh, girlfriend at the time. Um, and therefore, I want to be able to get a house together. So I want to put down a mortgage. Um, and I'd like to be able to go on a few nice holidays. As you mentioned, the Caribbean, like Mexico, Jamaica, whatever it may be. Um, he said, okay, we're going to put down a plan. We're going to make it ha- that happen. And we're going to make it happen in six months. I said, there's no way. There's no way we're going to do that. Anyway, we sat down probably a good few hours. We basically mapped out a daily plan, a weekly plan, and a monthly plan. We split it into clear, actionable milestones. And probably four or five months down the line, I'd hit that amount. So I'd had enough to, to put down the mortgage for the house and do the other things. So I was, I was amazed because we broke it down into manageable chunks. So that was, yeah, just a quick story on kind of how I've seen that in, into action.
1: I, I love it. And what that tells me is that manager, that boss, that amazing coach of people, not just a manager. So a lot of times people are managing salespeople and they think they should manage and micromanage, but really you should be a leader and a coach, which is, okay, what's your goal, Sam, right? What which whether you do a vision board or not, I always recommend it. Some people are, are you know, driven by images. Sometimes it's not just, you know, flashy things on there. Maybe it's quotes, maybe it's like a bigger picture thing, depends on what the, the purpose is for you in that moment. Um, but, you know, identifying that Then setting goals, setting action steps, and then holding uh, people accountable. Like, hey, you said this was your goal. Where are you at with this? Why aren't you doing it? Uh, As a coach and a leader, not a boss and a micromanager and someone that's putting somebody down. It's like, you said you wanted to buy a house, Sam. Like, where are we at with the numbers? What can you do today? Is that still important to you? Love that. Love that. Okay. Excellent. So, yeah, fast forward a little bit, Jason. Was the
0: next step? setting your own up on your own um your consulting group or was that something before
1: uh there was two stops before you know going from that so uh at that period of my life some things happened and uh for several reasons i took a break from the sales world in the real world and i actually worked as a government contractor as a civilian working on government contracts oh, okay. and deployed overseas for a little while so i did that for four years and uh Uh, It was interesting because I spent a lot of time in the Middle East and it gave me a lot of time to think about stuff. I actually worked on and started the process of getting my MBA, which I completed, and uh, I was working on some other projects. And then I came back in 2016 and worked at a company uh, where I was helping manage and and lead uh, sales, marketing. At one point, I had sales, marketing, and operations, which included customer service and processing, all under me. Uh, which, which, which was a lot. But for me, I look at the customer as the main important focus. And it's one customer that starts in marketing, then goes to sales, then goes to customer service, then goes to billing and all those things. And a lot of companies treat them as separate. They're led separate. And it's always a battle of sales versus marketing, sales versus this, everybody's versus everybody. And instead, like, it should be all one. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of things to juggle at the same time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm, guessing, for sure. I'm, guess, I'm guessing you learn a lot in terms of time management, and client management and
1: things like that. Time management, delegation. Um, and then when I went into consulting a year and a half ago, then it's taking those systems and processes and looking at it and being able to document things, be able to create scalable systems that people can do. Because one of the things I learned in my career, and this is what I focus on now as a consultant, right? We're talking about tips and, and things that I learned is A lot of companies, you know, especially if they're sales organizations, they think the solution and the way to win is to have superstars and superstars are great. The challenge is it's hard to scale with superstars. Superstars can be difficult to manage and lead. Uh, They can be very challenging to deal with. Uh, They're also really expensive. And for some organizations that works well, For for most organizations, it doesn't, right? Like it's really hard to find you know, uh, a hundred LeBron James and put them in one room together and have them all work together and then, you know, make lots of sales. Like that's really hard to do. Instead, what I found is more successful for companies to scale is finding, you know, people for sales who maybe they don't have a ton of experience. They have the desire, they have some basic skills, they, uh, they have the openness and willingness to learn and be coached. And then you give them systems and scripts and processes and a CRM and, and you know leads, and they will create amazing results, even if they're not superstars.
0: Love that. So more so searching for people that have got the motivation, that have got the right attitude, rather than uh, maybe ha- sales heavy hitters that might have
1: um, quite a bad attitude and things like that that could be hard work. Yeah, company. because it, it's tough to it's tough to scale that way, right? And then it's sure. also damaging for culture. I've seen a lot of top sales reps who just are are just destroy company cultures just because of their attitude and the way they they think they fit in versus what a company needs. So uh, I subscribe more to like the McDonald's model. I call McDonaldizing your sales team, which is, you know, McDonald's serves billions of hamburgers a day based on, you know, entry-level employees, teenagers, low, you know, minimum wage, you know, people who are just getting started in the workforce, but they do it and it's consistent all over the place. So how do you build that for sales teams where you can take people who mean well and you can, you know, help them achieve amazing stuff. Awesome, man. So moving forward, let's talk a bit more about your
0: business. Um, it'd be great to learn at what stage you thought or you took the leap to, to start off on your own and how you've been able to scale the business um, over the last kind of, is it a year or two or a little bit longer you've been doing it, Jason? Uh, a year and a half. Nice. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so, so tell us a bit for- more on kind of how you built it up. And the channels sort of yeah, so for of me, I
1: thought about this years ago. Um, I wanted to do it in fact, when I went to, back to school and got my MBA, that was the plan. I wanted to get my MBA go into consulting, leverage everything I had done with sales teams and organizations, um, and then you know parlay that into helping people, but as a consultant and then I got a job offer for a company where I was essentially. Internally, I was a consultant, right? Like I moved from department to department. I fixed things. I built things. We expanded. I started new offices. I did essentially as an employee everything I would have done as a consultant. And then when that ended, I decided to go into consulting. I said, okay, now's the chance. Um, I'm going to do this. And it was interesting, but you know, when I started, and this is the part I always like to share with people is, you know, there's a lot of people you see success and you think it's great and everything is going well. Um, But like for me, the first six months was nothing. Like I was putting in a lot of effort. I was networking. I was, I was working on building things, Um, but it took six months for things to begin because when I started, I didn't have a huge network. I didn't go into it planning on being a consultant. I wasn't like, okay, let me just build this, you know, this list and this network and, and a big data base of people, um, you know, which is what they always advise you to do if you're going to start, especially consulting. So I didn't, but so I just started it kind of on faith and knowing it was what I wanted to do and putting in lots of effort. I mean, I started my podcast even before I had clients, like I was working on lots of projects and then it all started to click. And one of the biggest things for me on the marketing side was it was all about relationships, it was all about networking, it was about talking to people. Because one of the challenges where you know some people, you know cold calls are best, cold calls aren't the best. For me, what I have found in, in the conversations I've had, when I, as, a, as a consultant, I'm helping salespeople, I'm helping sales teams improve cold calling and telling somebody, hey, you know, how's your sales team doing? Are they doing bad? If they're doing bad, I can help you, right? Like, especially sales managers and or owners, their ego is going to kick in and they're not going to be, they're not going to like the thought of that. And so what I found is relationships, networking, you know, people who find me or I come across them or I'm introduced to them and they're like, yes, I need help. And that's been the best way for me on the marketing side. Got it.
0: Okay, so working relationships so can we dive a little bit deeper into that, Jason, as in how you're acquiring these relationships? Are we talking face-to-face networking? Are we talking LinkedIn? Are we talking introductions for our existing clients? Or so, yeah, if you could share a bit more on that side of
1: things. So some face to face, you know, there's going to trade shows, going to conferences, going to networking events uh, was really good. And and at least when it's allowed, it's still a really good way. I mean, you can do stuff on zoom, you can you can do phone calls, you can do all kinds of things. But there's just something more powerful about meeting somebody face to face, and building some kind of relationship that way, even if that's just how it starts, and then you never see them again in person. Um, I've had some business start that way, where it's like, Within 10 minutes, like, Oh, this is great. We should do this thing. And, you know, versus other ways. Uh, My main platform that I'm on all the time is LinkedIn. I mean, you know, it's, it's for business. I'm looking for business people and salespeople and also producing lots of content. So I produce a lot of information out there. Like I said, my podcast, which is five days a week, and is not really designed for lead generation. Some people do podcasts where it's like huge call to actions and it's really about driving that interest. For me, I do some of that, but it's also just a way to help and show what I can. Like it's just content marketing, right? Like we're talking about different styles of marketing. It's content marketing, which is here's all the stuff I know. And just imagine if this is what I know and I'm willing to share on a podcast or in my book, Just imagine what I'm not sharing and what you could get if you hire me and what we could put into place, right? So I come from that approach, which is the, here's everything for free. Like, here's all of my knowledge and then, you know, putting it together, right? Like knowing that you, how to work out or knowing how to eat well is different than hiring a trainer who's going to help you do it and put the pieces together, right? Same thing for you guys, right? Knowing how to build a website, knowing how to do marketing, knowing how to do these things. That's great, right? I could watch YouTube videos on that all day. That doesn't mean I know what to do.
0: So true, that's a really great way of putting it as well um, and I think a lot of people, well, perhaps not everyone, but some people I think are shared scared rather to to share tips for free, be it on LinkedIn, yeah. be it on YouTube, be it on a podcast. They think that if I give all this away, then uh, no one's going to come to me, but in fact, it's quite the opposite, really isn't it?
1: I think it helps to build yeah. trust authority and things like that hundred percent. And what I've learned, and this just comes from a, you know, a standpoint of abundance, which is really what drives me the most, you know, 7 billion people on the planet, right? Like how many clients do I need? How many clients can I service? How many customers do I need? Even with my book, how many people do I want, you know, if I, my my vision is, is helping 100,000 people become authentic persuaders, right? That's 100,000 out of 7 billion, that's nothing. Like literally that's nothing. So there's no reason to be desperate or scared or have scarcity, mind. and I've always taught reps that too. I mean, one of the biggest things I teach salespeople is if somebody's not qualified, tell them no. Like, no, you're not a good fit, I can't help you, go do this instead. Um, because it's so powerful when you do say yes, then you really mean it. It's like a, just a different attitude shift. Um, but what I tell people on that, you know, about giving it away for free, I tell people all the time, if you listen to my podcast, season one was 110 episodes. Each week was a theme. One week was on scripting. One week's on technology, one on marketing, one's on referrals. If you take those 110 episodes and you just go through all of them and listen or read all the transcripts, that's how to build and run a sales organization. That's it. Nice, That's it. It's everything you know. And what I know, because I know you feel the same way, is that if somebody wants to do that and listen and take that and not hire me, then they weren't going to hire me no matter what, even if I kept all the, you know, the secrets to myself, that they weren't that person. I want the person who goes through and goes, okay, yeah, now I want to hire you. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. And I I don't know about yourself, Jason, but over time, I mean, I started this show with mainly the goals of learning from experts, Mm -hmm. sales, marketing, and business experts, just like yourself, um, sharing, sharing their views with the audience. And over time, every now and then I do get inquiries from people that have listened to the show and they pop in and they say, look, Sam, love this episode on XYZ. Would love to discuss this. Um, Don't know if you've had the same, but yeah, for anyone that's thinking of doing a podcast, it's not a quick when it is a long term, a long term thing. As as long as you're doing something you're
1: passionate about talking about, then it will pay off in the long run. Yeah, and just like anything, right? As long as you're not forcing it, I can tell the podcast where I feel like people are doing it because they were told to and they think that's a good way to market and do lead generation. And it just doesn't feel, doesn't feel like they're excited about it. They're not just doing it where they don't care. I'll also tell you for me, business wise, I mean, I've had success with the guests that I've had on the show, right? So I have a guest on the show, then we're talking about it and then we're building that relationship And then next thing you know, either they want to hire me or they know somebody that I should talk to that's, you know, I could help. And so that's actually been more of the lead generation side for me is actually through the relationships of people I'm dealing with and talking to.
0: Completely agree. Yeah, it's a really good way to build up your network as well. And like you say, start new relationships. Okay, so we've got networking face-to-face. We've got creating a podcast. Um, We've got LinkedIn. Any other channels, Jason, that that have helped you acquire new business? Perhaps
1: offline, cold calling, cold email, or perhaps with your website or any others that you could show the, us? the website, the blog, um, you know, it's, it's having that content out there, emailing it out to people. Um, you know, I've, I've been running some, you know, PPC type campaigns and trying to drive that, you know, SEO. So that has, that has helped as well. Uh, Again, I'm a big one for the inbound, uh, you know, for people, especially because also what I teach and train and help people with is help their sales teams with their inbound lead conversion. So I try not to be a hypocrite. Like if I'm teaching everyone how to close inbound leads, then it seems weird if I'm making cold calls. So, uh, you know, it's mostly relationship and, uh, you know, just reaching out and building it that way. And then lots of content. I mean, you know, creating eBooks, creating different funnel type things where somebody finds it and they go, okay. And then we start that conversation. Great stuff. And just before we wrap things up, for an inbound lead, Jason, I know
0: everyone's got their own strategy. I recently heard from Josh Braun, who was on this um, podcast a little while back. I think he posts on LinkedIn. One of the starting questions was, um, when someone gets in touch with you, you ask them what motivated you to get in touch. Um, So for example, with with ourselves, it might be, I saw an ad or found you on Google. my response might be, well, that's great. I see a whole bunch of companies on Google, but what about us specifically prompted you to get in touch with us? And then they'll yeah. start diving into why. They'll probably start diving into the issues they're having. They'll probably talk for about five minutes. Not always, but it's a good opener. But have you got any great opening questions to ask inbound inquiries?
1: No, I, I mean, I think it, depending on what you're selling and, and where the leads are coming from, I think that's a great way to go. I've seen salespeople be successful at, was you know what about that letter that caught your attention? What was it that interested you there? What is it that you're looking uh, for help with? You know, for me, I go more with the help with than the why, you know, what did you like that you saw? Um, I think it's just personal preference. It's also you, this is one of those things where you have to be very careful and I, I don't teach a lot of sales like lines and tactics Um, because it's more of the fundamentals and I focus on the foundational stuff that then makes all of that easier, but you've got to be really careful. Even with that line you're saying from Josh, I've heard reps say, it's like, okay, what was it about that? The website that, you know, you were interested in and it's like almost instantly confrontational and dramatic and you know, that can really repel people. Um, so I take more of the, you know, how can I help you today? What is it you're looking for help with? And then just like you said, just see if I can get them to just talk and ramble on until you know I know enough to ask more questions. Got it. Cool, man.
0: Um, and just before we kind of finalize things, if anyone for anyone that's tuning in that's thinking of starting their own company, or anyone that's started their own business very recently, have you got any tips or any golden nuggets of advice that might help them out in their first few weeks, months
1: of starting a company? <sighs> You know, I would say if you're talking really early on, I think one of the biggest keys is just to be really self-aware. I mean, I think that's the answer for everything anyway in life, Um, but to be really self-aware with what, who you are, what your strengths are, and what value you're providing. Um, And then also be aware of your weaknesses and whatever blind spots you can. Because anybody who starts a business, it's because they have an idea or, you know, a passion for something or, you know, they're going after some kind of goal. And so what's driving you? So the why, what's on the vision board? Because you're going to need some big reason why, because life is going to punch you in the face several times. It just does that normally. Um, And you're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to hit, walls you're going to hit barriers and you're going to have to have something that pushes you through so you don't just you know fold up and and quit which obviously isn't the goal and so you want to be self-aware enough to know what are your strengths like what are you really good at uh which part can you do really well and then when financially reasonable and responsible how can you get help in the other things uh and i'll tell you the number one book i recommend to anybody who's running a small business even if they're by themselves as a solopreneur, especially is Michael, uh, it's called E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Um, okay. It's he, he, yeah, E-Myth Revisited and it's not the electronic myth. It's the entrepreneurial myth. And uh, literally he describes why most small businesses fail. And I won't go into details, so people can check it out. Um, but he wrote that book in the eighties. He's written updated versions. There's all kinds of advanced modules, but E-Myth Revisited basically talks about why they fail, and what you can do about it and building systems around it. Nice, man.
0: We'll have to check that book out and put a link in the um, description for the show. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Okay, Jason, well, we'd like to ask everyone that comes on if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, for having a positive influence on in yourself and your career, who would that be and why?
1: Man, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I, for me, I would say it was my grandmother you know, she's the, the biggest influence, I would say, because no matter what, and this is what good grandmas do is like, she always believed in me and always pushed me to do what I want to do to be happy. And the line that she always used to say is God, God don't make junk. And, uh, you know, there's, everyone has this thing, right? Everyone has this value and they can do something. And she, plus my parents were very much, you know, into, you know, just go your path and keeping in mind, again, I'm a, I'm a sales consultant with a bachelor's degree in marine biology. Like I'm a hot mess on paper. Like I went a very windy path. Um, and so it was that support that helped me just, you know, keep going and then really put it all together. Awesome, man. Well, everyone, you've been
0: tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from across the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business and your sales. Jason, tell us a bit more about your company,
1: how people can connect with yourself, and the best way to get in touch. So uh, Cutter Consulting Group is the company and recently what I've done is just to keep it simple because I have so many things out there for people to check out is if they go to jasoncutter.com, That's J-A-S-O-N-C-U-T-T-E-R. I basically built that as a hub. So if you go to jasoncutter.com, you can go to the consulting website. You can find my Authentic Persuasion website and ebook. I have a free ebook there, the podcast links. uh, Also for anybody who's in sales, sales leadership, want to get on a phone call, there's a link on there to schedule time. I'm a sales nerd and a business nerd. So I love talking to anyone about sales, seeing if there's ways I can help them. So that's a good hub to find all of the, the various things I got going on. Brilliant, man. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Sam, thanks for having me. This was fun. Are you tired
0: of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, Connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.